thank you for your patience and for bearing with us, and thank you, Richard, for your help uh, to distribute the handouts. Um, so today is our last session. Mike. How's it been going so far, guys? Are you any questions? Any comments? Um, suppose so tithing. We talk about tithing, saving, giving, and uh, and the rest of it is spend. Excuse me. Giving is generosity, but it's not compulsory. It's not compulsory. That's what we are trying to aim. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so so this is what we are trying to aim for. Uh, we all have a goal, and we might never reach it, but but and that's okay as long as we make a start and we try. Even even when we spoke about saving, uh, it is very difficult to save. If we say ten percent. Um, to uh, but start somewhere. Even if you can't save 10%, as I said, even when it comes to uh, tithing, when I first started tithing, I struggled. I, I couldn't tithe 10%. And uh, you know what? I believe it's a heart attitude, and I believe it is something that's between you and God. Your finances also. Finances are there, money is there, it's a tool for us to use. And the important thing is for us to not make money our masters. We have to become the masters of our money. And that's what we're trying to aim to do here, is to, is to try and figure out and learn from each other. I don't have all the answers. I'm here just to share my experience, my knowledge and experience. As I said, I've been doing this, um, I've been in the financial industry for a long, long, long time. And um, I, I believe God has actually placed me here and, and uh, to, uh, to actually give people hope, especially in these turbulent financial times. It's very, um, we, we can become overwhelmed. And I, I also believe that God has given us experiences. Everything that we go through, we go through it for a reason even the tough times that we go through, even the struggles. And ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you that I've been through the mill also. And there is hope. And you know, here I am standing. I've been, as I said, I've been in this financial um, industry for, I'd say, almost 40, over 40 years now. And I was in the bank, and I'm d I've been d a, a debt counselor. but. Prevention, I believe prevention is better than cure. Uh, we, have, um, we, we have this disease. If most people are infected with this disease, which is over-indebtedness. We're not managing our finances. And as I said, the fortunate thing is that we, uh, we, have, um, our, we have hope in Jesus, firstly. And also in the fact that our laws are here to protect us. And as I mentioned previously, uh, uh, you know, for those people who are struggling financially, who can just not get their head above water, irrespective, uh, irrespective of what they try to do, um, uh, the, the thing is, they, uh, there is debt counseling. There are debt relief interventions that are in place. 
And uh, we, we obviously need to know about the different types of relief mechanisms that are out there and understand what's happening. And I did mention to you previously that the sad thing is that in this industry, although we've got so much of good, we, we always know we are in this, uh, two, uh, it's like we, we are driving on, on two lanes. Like our runways we've got, uh, or our motorways, we've got two lanes, one going north, one going south. And welcome, Nick. <laughs> and and the, the, the thing is, there's good and bad going on at all times, and we, th this is the reality that we live in. And even with our finances, we, uh, you know, we have our good times, we have our bad times, it's like, like, uh, like a cycle that we are going through. So we, we know that change is inevitable. And, and the thing is, with our finances, we need to change what we believe about money. And lots of people have a, a, a very unhealthy relationship with money, where money becomes their boss instead of them being the boss. And, and here we, we're hoping that we will be able to master our money and we tell our money what to do. We, we are not controlled by our money, but that we control our money. So we've talked about money, what happens with money, you earn money, we spend money, we save money, we borrow money, we give money. The important things to note, uh, this is also a recap, important thing to note is never spend more than you, than you earn. And don't save what remains after you've spent money. So it's advisable for us to get into the habit of saving first before we start spending our money. And we all have commitments. We have to, we have to meet our commitments. But even if we start off, uh, you know, we can have a goal of 10% that we want to reach this goal of saving at least 10% every, uh, every month. And uh, don't, you don't have to start off at 10%. If you find that 10% is too much for you, start even if it is 1%. Start saving, but start somewhere, and you will, I guarantee you, you will build momentum. You will reach that stage uh, where you are actually reaching your goal in every area. And as I said, I am living testimony. I struggled. I really struggled. As, as a single parent, a divorcee, um, finances had been very tight. The laws were not the same at that time. And, uh, and, and uh, you, uh, you know, the, the thing is, I had to make a decision to start somewhere. And as long as I was living in fear, which all of us go through, I was living in fear and this, I had this poverty mentality. It's like, if I start say, uh, spending money or if I give away, uh, I'm not going to have anything left over. But we've heard a lot of testimonies here in the church also about when you start, when you open your hands and give, your hands are open to receive also. And uh, I don't understand how it happens. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Stan was talking this morning. He was talking about asking God, and, and we prayed about it also, for God to give us wisdom and to give us revelation. The one thing I've realized is we're never going to understand everything. Um, with me, in the financial industry, I'm very analytical. I've always wanted to understand how things are going to happen. And with my finances also, it was, I was always scared because it didn't add up. If I thought I'm giving, and uh, the church expects me to give away 10%, or the Bible says I must give away 10% and I must save and things. And at that time when I was really struggling financially, it was, 
I did the maths and I said, you're earning 6,000 rand a month. Your expenses are 6,500 rand a month. You got no money to save. You got no money to give away. You got no money to tithe. But when I did take that step of faith and I started tithing, I didn't, I didn't tithe 10%, no. I, I tithe a small amount and I found that it was literally a miracle because at the end of the month, I was able to meet all my financial commitments. And guys, I'm speaking to you. All of you are saved already. You know Jesus. You know, uh, you believe in miracles. You believe that God is our provider. We are just stewards. And as difficult as it may be for us as Christians, knowing the truth, knowing, having faith, how much more difficult would it be for those who don't know Christ? who don't have this relationship or don't have this assurance. And I believe every single one of you is here to try and make an impact and be the hope for other people out there. There's just a handful of us here, but I'm sure we can, each one of us can make an impact. If we go and tell, at least each one of you goes and tells one person about how, or shows one person how they can manage their finances, we're going to be able to make a difference in the industry. So as I said, we started off talking about earning, um, earning, and then we, we spoke about saving, we spoke about borrowing, and I think that uh, that was a, a, quite a, an interesting discussion last week about the banks and how uh, making the borrowing decision and things, and today we, we are uh, going to be talking about, uh, about saving and about giving, and, but more than that, I, I want us to, to talk about our budget and uh, how do you budget, how do you, um, and, and financial planning. And I think the next, uh, the next section is this financial pr uh, planning process. Um, our aim also is to take care of ourselves in our old age. For the, uh, for the younger ladies and men here, you're gonna have a family, you need to plan for your family. In fact, the youngsters have to start planning maybe for when they get married, what's gonna, and uh, for the family. For those with little children, you have to plan for your children's future, for their education. For the older people, um, uh, you know, more middle-aged people, you have to plan for your, for your old age. Uh, for me now, I'm, I'm at a pension, I mean, some of us are already uh, at a pensionable age. Um, but we know also that our pensions are, are very scary and it is not that great. And, and uh, I wish I had started sooner. And especially planning for our old age to make sure that, uh, that we can take care of ourselves, that we are not going to be dependent on others. I mean, we all live in hope that we can depend on our children. Um, uh, but the reality is that our children also have their own lives. They have their own challenges, and we can see how things are, especially now. So as much as we'd like to uh, think that, uh, uh, you know, that our kids will take care of us in, the in our old age, I believe that it's our duty when we are young, and we are young parents, to equip our children. Um, but we, we, we shouldn't put the burden on our children, the burden of them having to take care of, our, of us. And I'm speaking to the youngsters here. Start planning for your old age. Start investing. Start putting money away. And um, I, I did give you the budget template uh, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, did everybody receive that simple budget template? If anybody needs more documents, I've, I've got copies here, so uh, you can come and help yourselves. But that, that, as I said, was a very, very simple uh, budget. But incorporate saving into your budget. 
start saving a little bit and then as be disciplined with your saving also. And as you accumulate, um, then put away the money into, uh, uh, start investing. So you start off with the savings account, you might put 100, 100 rand away every month. And then when you reach a thousand rand, maybe put it into a little, uh, an investment account of maybe uh, there's different types of investment accounts. And it's important for, uh, for us to investigate, do some homework and check which investments are the best uh, options. There's taxes also. It's, it's a pity we haven't had enough time to talk about taxes also. I was going to get uh, one of our colleagues from the church to come and speak to us about taxes also. But with this one, for one hour session, is just not enough even for me to, to share what, uh, what uh, God has laid on my heart. But um, uh, as I said, start small. Start small, start somewhere, start saving. And the other thing we need to remember is when we borrow money, we, we need to be very careful about our borrowing decisions while we are borrowing money. Um, we, we need to be, uh, be responsible borrowers also, because remember we spoke about good types of debts and bad types of debts. Look at the interest rates, look at, negotiate. In terms of the National Credit Act, if you were to go and purchase a house or a car, for example, there's certain processes that are in place in terms of the National Credit Act. So uh, part of the, uh, the borrowing or, or the credit cycle, uh, uh, you know, there, there is a cycle to credit. It starts off with marketing and then you make the application. Then your credit provider will assess your application and they'll decide whether to give you the loan or not. Then they also decide on the costs of that, uh, uh, that uh, credit that they're going to give out to you. And the costs are based on the bank's perceived risk. And I did mention to you last week that different borrow, um, uh, lending institutions, they apply different criteria and their risk appetite is different. So you'll find that a co if you went and borrowed money from a commercial bank, they will charge you a lower interest rate than if you were to borrow money from, uh, from a micro lender. Because the micro lender's criteria is, is uh, not as strict as the commercial bank's criteria. So when they, when they lend you money, they, they know that their risk is higher because the criteria is not so strict. So the interest rate is going to be higher. Then we also have, I mean, you're familiar with different types of loans and uh, credit, credit cards. Most of us use credit cards. And last week I said that I was going to talk about uh, a little more about credit cards. I've I found a number of people are using these credit cards to actually sustain their, their daily living. So they're living off credit. And I mentioned last week also that a credit card is, is a very good tool that you could use because uh, you, you have access to the bank's money. It's safe, it's convenient. So when you are going to do your shopping, uh, every month you go in and you, you use uh, you can use your, shop, uh, your, your credit card. And I did mention to you that uh, part of your budget will be your grocery expenses. So if your grocery expenses for the month is 3,000 Rand, go and use your, your credit card to purchase your groceries. And then at the end of the month, pay that 3,000 Rand. Don't exceed the 3,000 Rand though, because you need to stick uh, to your budget. But at the end of the month, uh, when your payment is due, you'll receive a statement, a credit card statement, and this is another area a number of consumers don't, um, don't examine their statements on a regular basis. 
And if you don't examine your, your statements on a regular basis, you don't know what is on the statement. So it's important that you look at your statement every month and, and make sure that everything that has been processed uh, through your account are legitimate. It's things that you are aware of. And we've seen an, a number of cases where um, uh, companies actually have debit orders coming off your account. They just start processing debit orders. We have these call centers that are in place. Uh, we, we know that that is such a booming business and I, I don't think there's any one of you who can say that you've never had a call from a call center uh, agent trying to sell you something. Okay. They are they, they, it's a type of business, it's a type of employment, and because it's, it's so difficult to get jobs, a number of people are actually working for call centers and they try to sell, sell people things that they don't actually need. I mean, you have um, call centers phoning you if you have a motor vehicle. As soon as you buy a motor vehicle yeah, and it's financed, you have a whole lot of companies phoning you, wanting to give you like... Uh, uh, hail, uh, hail uh, cover, tire cover, windscreen cover, a whole lot of different covers they try to give, uh, give to you and you have these call centers phoning you. Even in the bank, you're banking with a, uh, an institution, they will periodically phone you to, to sell you insurances or upgrade your account and I mentioned last week, when they upgrade your account, they're just getting more out of you. Um, you, and, and the world actually looks at the accounts and uh, that the type of card or the type of account, <coughs> excuse me, the type of account that uh, you have, and they seem to identify people by the color of the card or the type of account that they have. That's the prestige. We know better. We know that that is, that is not what gives us value. It doesn't matter what color card we are using. So. We need to, play, uh, to exercise wisdom also uh, with our banking accounts. And even when it comes to borrowing, shop around. And as I mentioned, in this credit cycle, so when you apply for a loan, the credit provider will do the assessments, they, and then they will decide about uh, your costs and things. Then they have to give you a pre-agreement or a quotation. It's required of every credit provider. They have to give this to you. And that pre-agreement will give you all the details of that, uh, of that credit agreement that you are entering into, including the cost, the total cost of the credit. Now here again, you need to know, when you are borrowing money, there's costs uh, uh, associated with that agreement. Um, you're going to be paying interest. You're going to be paying an initiation fee. You're going to be paying monthly service fee. There's credit life insurance. Um, sometimes there's loyalty fees. Th there's a whole lot of other fees that are added on to. Even if you're not borrowing, even if you just have a normal account, a store account or a transactional account with the bank, you'll find these uh, institutions are there. They're trying to make money. They're running businesses. So they're going to try and get you to subscribe to stuff. So as I was saying, you need to be careful. Examine your bank statement, see that everything that uh, is on your bank statement, you understand everything. And if there's something that's gone through your, your account that you don't understand, query it with the bank and get them to reverse it. Most people w uh, will not bother to go to the bank and get them to reverse uh, debit orders that, that haven't been authorized. Uh, because it is a process, and even with the banks, we know that we, we receive quite shoddy treatment uh, in every institution. But then again, we've actually settled for bad, bad service. We don't exercise our rights enough in our country. Uh, we, we, we don't enforce it because 
When you go into the bank and the consultant will give you a story and say, no, you need to go and phone somebody else and you need to phone this department, we all know how difficult it is wh when you walk into the bank to get service. Now, when I started working in the bank, it was a one-stop bank, uh, banking service that you received. You walked into the bank, and for, for the older ones here, you'll know how easy it was. You had one consultant you talked to, you went in, and they did everything for you. So life was so simple then. But now it's all call centers. And with these call centers, I mean, the, the banks are there. They're opening up call centers to streamline uh, processes and to maximize their profit, to minimize their loss and to maximize their profit. But we need to understand what when we can walk into the bank. I mean, if you go into a bank to withdraw money, do you know it costs you much more than if you went to an ATM and withdrew money? The banks want to keep you out of, the, out of their premises. They don't want you coming into the bank. Uh, and, and they employ these tactics, you know, with fees and charges and things, but sometimes it is important and necessary for you to go and speak to a bank consultant. And they are there, they're supposed to be giving you advice. They can't charge you for advice, for giving you advice. They can't charge you for, uh, for responding to a query or for investigating a query or a complaint. But the, these consultants, they, their behavior is, is, is driven in a different direction now. All they're interested in is meeting targets. They want to sell, sell products. They want to open new accounts. They're not interested in wasting their time uh, uh, providing the service, responding to your query. So you need to know where to turn to if you do have a query. So what I'm saying is if you have a problem, you have a query, even though it is the bank and uh, you go and speak to the consultant and the consultant is not really helpful, please escalate. Don't walk out of there, just throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up. And then walk into another bank and open an account in another bank. You're not actually helping yourself. You're not making any change. So we need to be the change now. So uh, persevere, if you have a problem, go in. Um, I know it is time consuming, I know it is very frustrating, but, but don't let, uh, let the institutions get away with providing shoddy service to you. You are paying a monthly service fee anyway. And uh, this is part of, uh, of the service that they are supposed to be providing. So even though they want you out of the, the bank as quickly as possible, you need to be persistent at, at some stage, uh, sometimes and uh, uh, pursue the matter and escalate. Every bank has an escalation process. Now, we also have the Consumer Protection Act. As I said, we've got the uh, National Credit Act to, to help us in the, in the credit industry. It uh, actually looks after credit providers and, um, and, and consumers. It uh, grants protection. So we've got the National Credit Regulator who actually oversees the National Credit Act. But in the same way, we also have consumer protection. There's consumer affairs. So if you find that the banks are not actually helping you out, uh, you can actually escalate the problem, but obviously any escalation has to be done within the, uh, the bank, you, um, uh, within the institution first. And if you fail with them, then you can go either to the consumer affairs or even to, uh, to the ombudsman. Now, I I even with life insurances, if you have a life insurance query and, and you're not happy, you don't know what's going on here, you're not sure about the, the, the product, you, you need to talk. You need to talk to the consultants, and if you find that the consultants are not helping you, then escalate that problem. Don't just settle. Okay, have you, any one of you had experience with this customer service where it's just 
like hopeless, hopeless, and you throw up your hands and you just decide, uh, I'm fighting a losing battle. Nick. <laughs> alternatives for you not to leave and take you back and forth like they want to make you tired so that you're like, like okay I'll just stay with you guys but yeah, yeah I, I actually had that experience also a couple of weeks ago where I uh, was I, I had lost my husband not too long ago and uh, I was, I'm in the process of just changing we're doing the estate up and um, I wanted to change my insurance and there's two companies because uh, Steve was without insurance and I'm with uh, with uh, Sunlam, and Sunlam doesn't want me to go, and uh, it's like um, it, we're scattered all over now, and they offer they make you the best of offers. Eventually, I've actually had a reduction. This was a, this is a good thing. Sunlam wanted to retain my business, and I said no. I'm I'm checking with uh, with insurance also. So I contacted insurance. I asked them, uh, uh, you know, this is the story. I want to put my car onto this. Uh, I, I, I want to join. What's the quote you'll give me? Oh, because your husband was with us, we will give you a 15% reduction, without me even asking. 15% reduction, and then because of your age, we'll give you another reduction. At the end, I moved <laughs> to insurance, but it was like. You could see how both companies were trying to retain your business. So there's a lot of competition out there, and, and that can be to our advantage. We just need to know, and we need to just pursue the matter. Last year, actually, the beginning of last year, I wanted to t uh, take a loan uh, to obviously to consolidate, to pay one thing off. But then uh, I thought to myself, no, but I, I don't want it anymore. I tried to cancel, but the thing is, was was over the phone. And then when I tried to cancel it, they already took the first debit order off. And it was back and forth with the bank, and then eventually everything was sorted out. But it was such a pain. Yeah. They make it so difficult for you. So as I was saying, when, when they give you the, uh, when you apply for a loan, they must give you a pre-agreement or a quotation, which is valid for five days. And uh, although the, the aim of that pre-agreement is to uh, let you know, uh, you know exactly uh, to disclose all the costs and things. It also they also have to give you the total cost of that uh, agreement. So they work out the insure uh, the like the interest. If you're taking a loan over five years, or even with a mortgage bond, you're taking a mortgage bond over 20 years. The pre-agreement will tell you how much interest you are going to be paying over the 20-year uh, period. All of that has to be contained. But you can also use that pre-agreement to go and shop around. So competition. Damage your credit because I've heard someone saying if if you if you like get one quotation from them because they say you've, it's not good to go around shopping around there because it actually gives you bad credit. I don't know if I the inquiries. Okay, so that is also another thing is our our uh, credit records. So all of us have uh, our records are on the credit bureaus. That that's one of the things that the credit providers look at when they are doing your credit assessment. And when, when they do an inquiry, it does reflect on your credit report. Um, but the thing is, the number of inquiries doesn't really impact on your, on, on your credit score. It shouldn't impact, but the banks do look at that to see, uh, because there are a number of consumers who go shopping around for uh, wanting loans const uh, constantly. Uh, so if you applied for a loan, like if you apply for motor finance or even a mortgage loan, 
you're not going to go to one institution. You, you should be going to all different institutions, shopping around and seeing who gives you the best rate. So there'll be maybe five or six inquiries against your name. But when you do go later, a year or six months later, you go and apply for a loan, and then they say, no, no, we're worried about you. What's the going on here? Why you, you've been like desperately looking for a loan? You explain to the consultant, no, I was buying a car or I was buying a house. That is the reason, and, and I was shopping around. So you're allowed to do that. Uh, but there are the people, and credit providers will look at that credit profile to see, uh, you know, there's, there is a consistently, a person is applying, every month there's, there's an inquiry from a different uh, financial uh, institution, then it's, it's alarm bells, then they can see their risk is high here. So those are the criteria that credit providers will use. And um, yeah, there's, there's so much, but it's important for us to understand uh, you, uh, you know, what happens behind the scenes. And as I said, so uh, quickly, just the stages of this credit cycle, as I said, is, so there'll be a pre-agreement uh, pre or quotation. You can shop around, you can use it to shop around for five days. And then if you agree to it, you accept it, then they have to enter into an actual formal credit agreement with you. And all the terms and conditions will be on there. You need to sign it. Then they distribute the money. They'll, they'll pay the money to you. But in that five days that, that um, uh, cooling off period when you got your quotation. They're not allowed to change interest rates or anything. If you go back within the five-day period and you uh, take up that offer, then all the conditions will remain the same. But what will happen is if you didn't go back within five days, the credit provider has a right to go and change. They, they can say, no, we want to charge you a different interest rate or, or whatever it is at that stage. So after you've paid them, uh, after um, you've signed up the agreement, then they'll, uh, they'll disperse the funds. Some people take consolidation loans, then you'll tell the credit provider, okay, ba uh, pay um, uh, African Bank and Capitec Bank and Edgars and Truworths and all of them, and give me the balance. So they'll distribute the money into your account. But you've entered into a legal agreement with this credit provider, which means it's legally binding on both parties. Uh, after that, you have to make the payments in terms of the agreement. There's nothing stopping you from paying extra and uh, ending that agreement, coming off that agreement sooner. In that way, you could also save. You'll save interest in it because even if you took a loan over five years and you paid it off within six months, they can't penalize you. They have to charge you interest only for the period that you use the money. The only time you'll get penalized if you pay back a loan uh, before time is uh, is a large agreement, which is a loan over 250000 or mortgage bond. So if you enter into a mortgage agreement and you want to settle that mortgage agreement, you need to give the bank three months' notice. So usually, that um, most of us will settle a mortgage agreement if we sell our property. But from the time you actually sign that uh, offer to purchase or, or you accept an, an, an offer, till the time the transfer takes place, it usually takes three months or longer. Um, the reason here now is that you need to give the bank uh, notice because um, they they literally dependent on that interest that comes in from there. That's a big big part of their um, uh, their income. So imagine if everybody who had big loans just went suddenly and uh, settled their loans. The, uh, the bank is uh, going to it's going to affect their business. So this is the reason why, with large agreements, they say you have to give them three months' notice. If you give them three months' notice, you don't pay any penalties. But obviously, in that three months, you're paying interest, so they're still getting their money. Yeah, they'll get the money. So uh, even with the three months notice, if you sell a house 
and you might have a very, very quick, uh, a very efficient uh, conveyancer who's dealing with the transfer. And if they uh, transfer the property within two months, the, the transfer is registered. You, and you've given notice up front though, you've given the three months notice, then for the two months, uh, the first two months, you actually, you paid interest, so there's no penalties, but for one month, you'll still be charged a penalty in, in, in that case. But any other loan, including credit cards, store accounts and things, you are at liberty to settle your loan in, at any stage. Okay, so we're moving on now to this uh, monitoring stage. sharing uh, risk from credit card because some people uh, like a credit card when you want to travel um, and you keep your credit card without using yeah. and you use when you want to travel I want to get from your advice the is it good to keep that credit card without using or is better to use for travel as well as for maybe some shopping around and so on, so that to minimize the risk of charge. What is the best? Um, for me, what I do is, with my credit card, as I said, uh, you know, it's within my budget, um, my, my grocery. So I'll, I'll do my grocery purchases using my credit card. And at the end of the month, I pay that entire bill then. So if you find that when you pay that entire bill, you don't get charged any, you don't pay interest. With your credit card, when you receive your statement, they ask you to pay back only 5% of the balance. So if you're going and buying groceries and you're paying in terms of the statement, you're paying 5%, you're paying this debt off over 20 months. You, so you bought your groceries and you're paying it off over 20 months. The idea with the credit provider is for them to start earning interest on that 95% that you haven't paid back. So they'll charge you interest. So if you had, for example, your budget, as I said, your grocery budget is 3,000 rand, I would say go and purchase your groceries, use your card, purchase your groceries at the end of the month, pay that entire bill off. If you pay that entire bill off, they can't charge you any additional, uh, they don't charge you interest, but you get, do get charged service fees, monthly service fees, which I think is about 45 rand a month now. For just for the, having that account open, you pay that. No, no, as I said, you've got different statuses. You've got a black card, you're going to be paying much more. So some, some banks have the packages, they'll give you like a transactional account and a credit card bundle, and they'll charge you a fixed monthly service fee. But here again, you need, to, you need to find out from the banks what the charges are, what the fees are, and go for something that is reasonable. Don't go for these expensive. You got this private banks, also private bank customers, where you have one banker who contacts you, comes and sees you. So for that convenience, you're paying a, a, a large amount. So for those, and, and the thing is, the banks will phone you, they look at your deposits coming into your account. And then when they find that there's a lot of money coming into your account, based on, your, uh, on the income or the turnover on the account, they will offer you an upgrade maybe. And they'll give you another account, maybe they'll want you to be a private bank client or uh, I don't know all these other, I'm sure you, uh, you, all of you have heard of, of the different uh, types of accounts uh, that uh, banks have. I'm with FNB, but uh, when I started off with FNB, and they, I think FNB was the first bank that started with these tiers, like, um, so they started off with, uh, with the gold card. At that time, gold was good. 
uh, was something prestigious, and they had the gold and the platinum cards. And then, then they moved on, they got a black card that was above the platinum card. Um, and then, then they've got the private bank, and like Investec Bank also, they got private customers and things like that. So uh, you need to just, as I said, you need to shop around and uh, your, the reason why you, ask, you, uh, you choose that bank, uh, I mean, is very important. Do you want prestige? Do you want just the service? Because with that prestige or perceived prestige, you're going to be paying a cost to that. And for a number of people, that's important. You know, they'll flash out the, the black card, or I'm the man, uh, you know, and you with your little blue card, you are like nobody. But is that a fact? That is not, that's not what happens. Because all these accounts, you, you can perform the same, the same functions uh, with these accounts. Um, I just wanted to ask about um, that using a credit card to pay off to pay things, so if you're using it for groceries or using it for travel or using it for whatever, um, I was told that um, like to just use it and then pay it off doesn't necessarily reflect on your credit account. I don't know if you have to use it until the bank has processed that you spent a certain amount, so maybe when they give you your statement, then you pay it off after that so that it reflects that you're using the credit, whereas yeah. if you just pay it off immediately, it doesn't, appear to them um, that you're actually it, using their credits. It doesn't really make sense for you to pay it off immediately. What's the, what's the benefit yeah. of that? So I, yeah, I just wanted to find out like... For you, what's the benefit to you yeah, to use the card and, and then it pay it off? So yeah, so, but I just want to find out like how long do you wait before you pay it off? I wait until I get my statement. Okay. So uh, when I receive my statement, the statement will tell you when your payment is due. It tells you what's your outstanding balance, it tells you when your payment is due, and it tells you the minimum payment due. So as long as you pay the full outstanding balance before that due date, you're fine. Yeah, you, you're using the bank's money, you're being wise. Okay. I would say that that, uh, that is being wise with your money. The same with, uh, with bonds, access bonds. Anybody heard of access bonds? Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll talk about that just now. Um, so I wanted to find out in terms of NGOs and credit availability towards them. How does that work? Um, okay, with NGOs, you're talking about gov government funding or, or borrowing from the bank? Or borrowing <coughs> from the bank. Um, I'm not, I'm not too, uh, too sure how NGOs work. Okay. Yeah, but I thought NGOs are more with DTI and government funding and... Um, from what I know, they they lobby people to help them with money, uh, to sustain their everyday cycle of whatever they, uh, they're offering to the public. But then um, there are others who actually go to the bank to ask for help, and they get something, but I don't know how does it work. Um, so well, I wanted to find out. Well, most banks, I suppose they must be giving business loans. But I'm not sure you need to find out from the bank, I'm sorry. Okay, we were talking about uh, access bonds. Anybody's got any comments or wants to know anything about access bonds? So access bond is where you have a, uh, a home loan and you pay extra into your home loan, and, but you have access to that money. So if later on you need money, you can uh, take that money. The advantage of an access bond obviously is it reduces the interest. So if you got a bond of uh, 100,000 Rand and you got 10,000 rand in your hands. 
it's advisable for you to put that 10,000 into your, your bond and save, so you're effectively earning that interest, uh, assuming your bond interest rate is 10% per annum. Uh, and you put this 10,000 rands, you're saving that 10% on that 10,000, you're effectively earning 10% 10, uh, 10 on that. So even when it comes to, as I said, uh, budgeting, I'm skipping around from <laughs> credit to budgeting, but uh, when, you, um, uh, when you do your budget also, obviously, uh, guys, although I say it's important to save, it is important to save, if you have debts, save a little, don't go and save 10% and then have debts and you're paying 20% per annum interest on your debts and you're earning 5% per annum interest on, on your money. So if you got like 10,000 rand, um, instead of just uh, putting it into a savings account, if you got a bond, I would say put it into your bond because if you put it into a, a savings account, you most probably are going to earn maybe 3% interest or 5% interest, whereas if you put it into your bond, you're effectively earning 10% or 12%, whatever your bond interest rate is. The same with debts. Don't go and have a, a loan with the bank and pay 25% interest and then have a, a savings account or an investment and earn 5% interest on that. It just doesn't make sense to do that, even though I'm saying save, save, save as much as possible. But eliminate debt, rather rather eliminate debt. Um, or have a, a payment plan in place for your debts. Uh, you know, if you're paying your debts and you're managing to pay your monthly installments, then yes, by all means save. And then try and pay extra towards your debt so that you, um, you can expunge those debts even sooner. You can always try and do that. So as I was saying, uh, with financial planning, the, that's, this forms part of your budget. You have a, an amount that you are saving every month. So assuming you're saving 100 rand a month, after 10 months you've got 1,000 rand, take that 1,000 rand, put it into an investment account and, and le let that build up and carry on with your 100 rand saving and just carry on until you've, you get a nice nest egg. And part of financial planning is we should try and save uh, or have an emergency fund. So if we want to go into a state of financial wellness where we are not go going to be struggling and stressing all, all the time, we need to have a good budget in place. We need to be disciplined. We need to follow the budget. Obviously, um, uh, oh, sorry, stick to the budget. But obviously, every now and then, something is going to happen and you're, going to, uh, you're not going to be able to, to actually uh, stick to the budget. But look at it and be flexible. Uh, but try and adhere to your budget and then be disciplined, carry on saving, and then start building up this emergency fund slowly. Once you've got your emergency fund in place, then you need to start, you're still doing this, all of this you're accumulating from your saving. So you continue to save until you've built up your emergency fund, and the ideal out there uh, for emergency fund is three months uh, expenses. You should be able to cover three months expenses. Otherwise, if, when we don't have an emergency fund, what happens is we go and we have to borrow money. If something happens, your car breaks down, your dog gets sick, somebody dies, so we have to go and borrow money. But these are eventualities that happen to everybody, so we need to try and build up an emergency fund. So this is where we are aiming at. I, as I mentioned right up front, I think in our first uh, day together, set yourself goals. So when you are working out your budget, you have your goals, you set your goals, and you decide how you're going to, um, uh, what your goals are, and then how you're going to work towards uh, your, your goals. 
We were not able to cover too much here. It was just in a nutshell. Why isn't this moving? Elements of financial health. It hasn't moved yet. Okay, so, so there are certain elements to financial health. Yes, thank you. Okay, so as I said, the elements to financial health, now if for, for all of us, we want to have financial health, and we'll start off with obtaining a credit report. Every single one of us uh, is entitled to a free credit bureau report. Remember I told you the credit report is what the credit providers look at when we apply for a loan. So we, we need to, in order to actually um, uh, build up financial health or to get to a good place, we need to know where we are at right now. So you need to sit back, relax, and, and, uh, and do an assessment to see where you are right now. And one of the ways you'll do that is by obtaining your credit report. All your credit history is on your credit report. Look at your credit report and then start off with trying to eliminate debt. The, that's the main thing, eliminate debt. Have insurances in place so that if something happens, I mean, your car breaks down or, uh, uh, you know, even your geezer uh, overflows and things like that, make sure you have the appropriate insurance. Some insurances are necessary. And I know with me also, I wrestled with this when I was, uh, when I was young and I didn't have money, is insurances and also my understanding of the word. Guys, are you all okay to go on for a few more minutes? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Okay, I know we, we've run out of time. Um, so as I said, when I was a, a new Christian, uh, and my understanding of the word of God was that uh, I, I understood that insurances was like a bad thing. You're not trusting God. Um, so why should you have insurance, life insurance? Even, I mean, some, some Christians actually say you shouldn't take your kids to the doctor when, the doctor, when, they, when they are sick because pray and God will heal them. Uh, I did learn, that was right at the beginning, but I did learn later that that was stupid thinking. Um, you know, God has placed these people in our lives. Uh, I mean, doctors are not there on their own accord. I'm sure God had something to do. It was part of his plans also. So we need to exercise wisdom. Uh, so, so even with insurances, we might think, oh, as a Christian, is this a, a good testimony for me to have insurances? Pray about it and talk to God, and uh, there are certain insurances. Yes, you are, uh, it, it's wise to have these insurances, and God has given us a spirit of wisdom and power and a sound mind. Savings, the next step is to try and save, and then once you've got your savings in place, then you start investing, and... Uh, They've got emergency funds here right on the top, but I would put uh, emergency funds uh, uh, down with, with savings b before investments. You can't invest money if you don't have an emergency fund. But that's just in, in my opinion. First have that emergency fund and then you can have your investment. But some people might just think maybe it is better to have an investment in place, which we could turn to and we could use, uh, uh, use if, we, if we need to. So it's important for you to do your, your financial health checkup, check where you are, and then check your spending behavior, uh, reassess. And as I said, w uh, when you talk about spending, this, this fits into your budget. Uh, uh, work out a budget, 
Do it together with your family. Monitor your expenses. Is this all mo moving? Okay, we did talk about smart goals, so ma make sure that your goals are specific, it's measurable, it's achievable, realistic, and it is timely. Uh, you need to have uh, short-term goals, medium-term goals, and long-term goals when you are uh, considering your budget and working towards financial health. Okay, we're talking about goals here, financial goals worksheet. Okay, then we did talk about uh, budget, and uh, we did say budget is when you, you are actually telling your money where to go to, instead of wondering where it went to. A budget is a plan for what you are going to do with your money. So the benefits of a budget is you visualize your spending, so beforehand you know where you're gonna be spending your money. It helps you with better decision making and saving. Uh, cautious spendings. Also, it's important to go shopping with a list. I know I'm guilty very often. I, uh, even when I do go with the list, sometimes I, I come out with 10 things that were not on the list. But here again, it's discipline. We need to exercise discipline. Um, and it helps you, the budget helps you to reach your financial goals. And, and it gives you less financial stress and it's realistic expectations. You understand the effects of your decision and it puts you in charge. So you're not going to be wondering at the end of the month. Also, it, it helps, uh, especially for those of you who have children, it helps them also to learn about financial discipline. The pitfalls when drawing up a budget is don't underestimate your expenses. Don't forget your annual expenses. So take that into consideration also like your car license. and. Uh, don't lose track of your spending. Your budget, as I said, must be flexible. Try and get an, a work in an emergency fund into your budget. Have realistic goals and, and start saving. Don't make it uh, complicated and also reward yourself. You know, when you get through the end of the month and, uh, and you've adhered to your budget and you've got a little bit of money left over, go and do something nice for yourself, for your family. Um, I mean, after all, we are, we are here to enjoy the ride also. It's not just the destination. It's whilst we are here, that's what God wants from us. So establish your goals. The steps to draw up your budget is to establish your goals first. L uh, consider what your income is, what, what amounts, you, what monies you have. If you have money in the bank, speak to a financial advisor and, fi and find out uh, the, what's the best option for you to get your money to grow, get your money to work for you. But speak to a professional, a registered, and, a, and an accredited financial advisor. Work out your budget for, for 12 months. Uh, try and work it out for on, on a 12-month basis and review it uh, very, very often. When, ex when expenses exceeds income, see where you have to cut. You can never, you're not going to survive if your expenses exceeds your income. You need to decide how much you can save and review and adjust your budget whenever, uh, uh, whenever it is necessary. I mentioned these needs and wants um, previously. So here again, when you're setting your goals, you need to assess what is your needs and what are your wants. Your needs have to first be met before you start uh, satisfying your wants. So when you're doing your goals, when you're setting your goals, make sure that all your needs are first taken. So you're prioritizing. 
Um, then you need to also look at your various types of, uh, of expenses when you're drawing up your budget. There's essential expenses, non-essential expenses, and there's luxury expenses. And we all deserve a little bit of luxury, but maybe not every month. Maybe you, you might have to make sacrifices and have luxury, some uh, luxurious expenses maybe once a quarter. For some of us, once a year, Christmas, we splash out over Christmas but you decide what works for you. So make sure that you understand the difference uh, between essential expenses, non-essential expenses, and luxury expenses. So credit health tips is consume less of non-essential items, uh, and there's ways to cut down on expenses, and I'm sure each one of you have already figured out ways to cut down taking your own lunch to work or sending lunch to school for your kids. Uh, don't eat out, um, literally don't live up to the Joneses where you can uh, spend, do things for yourself, do things at home, you'd rather do it uh, at home. Get your children to chip in also, even Christmas gifts. I know when I was a young parent, uh, Christmas gifts was a big thing and uh, the one year I did, I got myself uh, into trouble financially because I went and bought gifts uh, for the whole family and I was struggling financially. But I learned very quickly that I could actually get my kids to make gifts. And that was fun for them also, and it didn't cost me much. So we, we just need to become creative. And God has given us, I mean, he is the creator. He's given us this creativity also. So let's exercise our creativity and see. Even in, uh, when it comes to making money, we could try and make money, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, doing something, being creative. It's, it's, it's a good way uh, to make additional income. And as I said, have your grocery list with you. Go out with a grocery list. Um, also, how often do we get tempted into buying things because they were on special? There was a sale and there were specials. And I know my hubby, I used to always laugh at him because he, he used to say he's very, very thrifty. And when there was a sale and he found something on bargain, he used to go and buy it and he used to be so thrilled with himself. He'd come back home and he'd say, oh, guess what I got? Look at this, I got this. such a bargain, it was half price. But when he went to the shop, that's, he had no intention of buying that. So, and I tell him, uh, you actually didn't save 50%, you spent 50% because you had no intention of spending that 50%. So don't come and tell me that you saved 50% on this. You actually saved it, uh, you spent it. So yeah, we can get carried away and marketing does this to us. You go out there or, or you watch on TV, you see things and uh, go to the shop, everything is on special. What about like now, November, end of November, uh, what's it called, Black, Black Friday, yeah, Black Friday is coming up, and how crazy people go on Black Friday. They do, I mean, all the shopping centers are crazy, there's traffic jams, there's chaos, Black Friday, because people want to go for these uh, sales, they want to stock up for Christmas and things, but guys, we, we need to not be like sheep. That is really sheep mentality. People just, because everybody else is doing it, let's all, uh, let us uh, jump onto the bandwagon and do the same thing too. Even with cars, I mean, getting a lift or carpooling and things, uh, those are so good. Um, debts, debts, we spoke about debts, primary debts and secondary debts. As I said, some debts are good debts, some debts are necessary debts. We need to just avoid those ones that are not good. And in, in order for us to be able to get those good debts, we have to have a good credit report. So it's important for us to check your credit report. Uh, and I'm ad advising every single one of you to obtain your free credit report. Just go online, Google free credit report. 
There's, uh, this is one of your consumer rights. I'm gonna talk to you about consumer rights quickly. Stay within your budget. I'm not gonna tell you how to stay within your budget. The importance of saving and spending. Spend wisely, save regularly, invest prudently. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you about the benefits of saving. I think you all know. Saving or paying off debt, as I said, I would say pay off debt because you're paying a much higher interest on your debt than saving. Uh, but uh, by the same token, try and sa save every month. Save a little every month and then increase that as you er eradicate debt. Practical saving uh, tips for saving. Make savings for future a priority. Have a savings plan. Uh, pay off all your debts. Okay, I'm not gonna spend more time there. Understanding credit, I did mention to you about credit. Just, just try and understand more. There's so much uh, uh, on Google also. You can pick up so much information on Google. And I also said, I am here. Anytime you need some advice, you're not sure about whether, uh, uh, especially opening accounts and things, uh, guys, you, I'll give you my number. Please feel free to call me. Even if you're having problems, uh, you don't know how to solve it, whether it is with debts or uh, with a credit provider. Um, I'm, I'm willing to help out wherever I can. Okay, I'm not gonna talk about credit or the National Credit Act anymore right now. Different types of credit, we mentioned that. Borrowing decision. The cost of credit, okay, it's important for you to note the cost of credit. These are some of the fees that get added onto a credit agreement. And as I was saying, we were talking about the credit life cycle earlier on, and I told you we, we reached that stage, I think it was the sixth, uh, uh, sixth stage where it's monitoring, making sure that you're making the payments. But by the same token, the credit provider also has to monitor and make sure that they're receiving the payments on time. And uh, if they're not receiving their payments on time, they will proceed with enforcement action. So if you find that you got a loan and you are unable to pay your loan, um, uh, don't just bury your head in the sand and ignore it. You need to speak to your credit provider, tell them what your position, uh, your situation is, and make an arrangement with them. Uh, uh, you know, don't ignore it. What you'll find happening if you are in arrears with your loans is you'll find that your credit provider will contact you. They'll send you SMSs, they'll contact you, they'll start bugging you. And what most people do when they are behind with payments? <laughs> they start uh, avoiding phone calls. Uh, some people also close bank accounts. They transfer their salaries to another account because now we talked about debit orders also. So when you take a loan, you more than likely you are going to be required to sign a debit order authorization, giving the bank permission to take your installments on a monthly basis. So what some people do when they're struggling to pay their loans, they will close their account, uh, well, they don't close the account too, which is another danger. They will just go and open another account, get the salary to go into the, that account, and the old account, there's no money in that account, so they when the credit provider processes the debit order, there's no money, the debit order bounces. What happens in that case is that that account is still open, the debit order bounces, you're getting charged penalty charges, you're getting charged interest then there's a possibility that that credit provider will, uh, will proceed with enforcement action against you, and, and you'll have to pay all their charges and fees and things like that. The better thing to do is, if you find yourself in that position, 
uh, open a new account, have your salary uh, moved to the, to the new account by all means, but make sure you close the old account. Don't just uh, leave it open and, uh, and, uh, and think that it's gonna go away because it's going to come back to haunt you. And a number of people, I've seen a number of people do this where they just open another account, they forget about the first account, but years later it comes back to haunt them. So just be careful with that. Uh, with that, and then, as I said, if you're not making payments, the credit provider is entitled to proceed with enforcement action because you've entered into an agreement with them. It's a legally binding agreement. So if you don't make a, uh, the payments, but there's a process that the credit providers have to follow with the enforcement action. I'm sure everybody's heard of legal action. You've heard of repossession of goods, um, emolument attachment orders maybe, or people call it garnishy orders. So these are the things that happen. It's part of the enforcement process if a person doesn't pay back their loans. This is why it's very important to pay back your loans. If you don't pay, then there's collection costs also. Um, and then also credit insurance. Most people have credit insurance on their loans, but they don't know what that is. They don't know, um, uh, you know, usually when people apply for a loan, they're just interested in getting the money, and that's it. They don't think about everything. They, they don't uh, look at the fine print. They don't question things. But the credit life insurance could be such a good thing, especially over that um, COVID time that we went through where people were retrenched. A number of people were retrenched. Now, those people who were retrenched, if they had credit life insurance on their loans, those loans would have been paid off with the credit life insurance. But a number of these people are, were not even aware that they had credit life insurance, even though the premiums were being deducted from their account every month. They were not aware that, uh, or, or even if they had it, they didn't know what now, how do I claim on this? So we need to know, we need to know what we have available. But uh, in that case, if you've got credit life insurance, you contact the credit provider and, and they are required to, uh, they, they must help you. But most people, they don't. They don't claim against the credit life insurance. Okay, and as I was saying with the enforcement process, um, they, they will, they have to send you, first they start off with the phone calls. It's very soft tactics, phone calls, SMSs. If you ignore that, then they will send you a letter of demand. When they send you the letter of demand, um, you, you, they, they can't send you a letter of demand unless you are at least 20 days in arrears. So if you are 20 days late with your payment, they are entitled to send you a letter of demand. Some, some credit providers wait for three months. If you're three months in arrears, they'll send you the letter of demand. But in terms of the National Credit Act, there's certain steps they have to take within certain time periods. Uh, in, in every step, even with credit applications, within certain time periods, everything has to happen. Same with debt counseling, every step has to be, uh, be undertaken within certain time periods. So with the enforcement action, they do the same. They will take each step within a certain period of time. So you have to be in arrears for a minimum of 20 days before they send you the letter of demand. Once they send you the letter of demand, you have 10 days within which to, to take some sort of action. They have to give you 10 days. They can't take any action against you within 10 days. 
If you see a debt counselor within that 10 days, the debt counselor can help you. And then if you apply for debt review, you have 60 days protection after that date. So the credit provider cannot proceed with legal action against you for, the, for 60 days. If the debt counselor successfully completes negotiations on your behalf within the 60 days, you're guaranteed protection after that. But most debt counselors, they don't complete negotiations in the 60-day period, so the, credit, uh, the consumer is at risk again. But for the first 60 days, the consumer is, if, if legal action hasn't already commenced and they've applied for debt review, the credit provider cannot, and it's 60 working days, 60 business days, which is more than three months. So a debt counselor has three months within which to, to do all the assessments and to negotiate with the credit providers. And when, when you do apply for, for debt counseling, the credit providers have already agreed to reduce interest rates and service fees and extend the repayment term and reduce the amount that you are paying. I've been doing debt counseling now for just over 14 years. I've brought down interest rates with the credit pro uh, providers' uh, agreements right on, on unsecured loans to below 1%. In fact, I brought interest rates down to, uh, to even 0% on unsecured loans uh, because there's an agreement in the industry. I've also brought down interest rate on secured loans, which is motor vehicles and houses. Um, in 2021, those people who went under debt review the interest rates on the bonds and motor vehicles, my clients, have been fixed at 5.5% per annum for five years for the bonds. Now, the interest rate, the prime rate is 8.2, uh, sorry, repo rate is 8.25% per annum now. So the interests are based, the bank's repo rate is what um, the Reserve Bank charges the uh, banks when they lend to the banks. So that's repo, which is 8.25 currently. Banks lend money on prime plus. Uh, they, they calculate uh, their interest rates based on the prime rate, and prime is 3.5% over repo rate. So it's 8.25 plus 3.5, which is 11.75% now. That's prime rates. That's the minimum. In fact, on a bond, if you went to take a loan to purchase a property, the bank will could charge you prime plus 5% per annum. We, in, in the debt counseling industry, we are allowed to bring the interest rate down on, on mortgage bonds and motor vehicles to pri uh, repo plus 2%. So currently, 10.25% is what we can fix the rate, so, but on bonds for five years only. With the vehicle, it's uh, until the, the debt is settled. So that, uh, that is one of the debt relief mechanisms that, uh, that is in place. Um, there are other debt relief mechanisms in place for those who are struggling financially, but before, uh, that's not really important right now. The more important thing is for you to understand your consumer rights. It's, uh, you have a right to apply for credit. You have a right not to be discriminated against. You have a right to a proper assessment, a right to reasons for credit being declined. So if a consumer did go and apply for a loan and the application was turned down, uh, the bank has to give them a reason, written reason why it was turned down, and they can, it can be challenged. Uh, a right to clear and understandable language for all the agreements and all the bank's documents, a right to receive documents, and a right to reasonable fees and charges. So the National Credit Act also 
sets caps on the maximum interest rates and service fees on all the charges that banks can charge. They can't just go and charge as they feel. There is a maximum, but those maximums are quite high also. I don't have time to explain the maximums now, but it's in the act and it's obtainable. It, um, it's easily obtainable. Uh, you have a right to a free credit report every year, and as I said, I would advise everybody, tell your friends, your family, um, uh, also to obtain the free credit report for two reasons. The one is to make sure that everything that is on that report is true and valid, because if there's things there that, uh, that are incorrect, you can notify the credit bureaus and get them to correct it, because if you are applying for a loan, this is what your credit providers are going to look at um, it, when they're doing their assessment. So it's important for you to know what they are going to be uh, seeing, what information is going to be in front of them when they obtain your credit report. You have to give them permission to obtain your credit report if you apply for credit also. Uh, not just any Tom, Dick, and Harry can get your report. Uh, it's private and confidential, so you have to authorize it. But Go and obtain your credit report. You, you can go online, Google free credit report. The credit bureaus are there also to make, uh, they, they are businesses, they're gonna try and make money out of you. So just be careful that you don't go and sign up for any of the other services that they, they most probably will charge you on a monthly basis for. This is a free credit report that you're entitled to in terms of the National Credit Act. Everybody is entitled to you. So no credit bureau can come to you and say, no, you have to pay for your report. As long as you're not obtaining more than one report in a one-year period, in a 12-month period, that's all they can do. But there's different credit bureaus that are registered, and each of these credit bureaus are required to provide you with a credit report. So there's nothing uh, preventing you from obtaining one report from one credit bureau this month uh, or on a quarterly, I would say quarterly. Every quarter, get one from a different credit uh, bureau, though. Okay, and then your, the right for your information to be protected. There's the Poppy Act also now, and your information is protected. A right to good marketing practices. Uh, there's certain things that, in terms of marketing, that there's don'ts, but I have seen uh, companies that are marketing in violation of the Act. Uh, they're putting out information that they shouldn't be uh, putting out. They're trying to mislead consumers, but just be careful. Uh, the right to, uh, to not be harassed or persuaded to apply for credit. The right to settle a debt at any time. The right to surrender goods. Well, surrendering goods, I will not uh, advise that to anybody. That is like if you've got a car and you're unable to pay for it, you have a right to surrender that car, which means giving it back to the bank, and the bank will sell it in, in, in a sale in execution. But with the surrender of goods, you need to be careful because if the bank sells it at a loss, you're still going to be responsible for the shortfall. So that applies for house, uh, to houses and cars. If the bank is proceeding with enforcement action and they repossess your goods and they sell it at, uh, at a loss, you're still going to be liable for that, uh, for that shortfall also. You have a right to be, pro uh, to be protected in terms of enforcement. As I said, the enforcement process, there's certain time frames and certain things that the credit provider has to do. They can't r uh, jump from step one to step five. They have to go through step one, two, three, four, five. Okay, so it's the first contacting you, SMSs, telephone calls, then a letter of demand, then summons, then they will go to court. And if you don't, you, even when you, you've received summons, you can still go to court and, and defend yourself. If you don't go to court and defend yourself, then default judgment is granted against you. 
And once default judgment is granted against you, then you are at the mercy of the credit provider because that judgment will be against your name for 30 years. So even if you at that time are unable to pay the bank um, and uh, you just tell them, no, uh, you know what, I'm not working, I can't pay you, they can enforce that judgment anytime in that 30 year period. So five years later, if you get a job, this thing is gonna come out again and haunt you. So be careful with that. Um, and you have a right to approach a debt counselor for help. So applying for debt review if you're over-indebted is a consumer right. It's not something, uh, uh, you know what, what really an annoys me and I'm, I'm, I cannot understand is, there are debt counseling companies that actually phone clients and tell clients, um, uh, you know, we can help you, we can put you under debt review, you can save. Uh, is there anyone here who hasn't received a call, a call or an SMS from a debt counseling company? Mm. You haven't received a call? Really? Oh, okay, because even I, as a debt counselor, I'm receiving messages uh, from debt counseling companies, especially uh, those that advertise uh, on TV. They have call centers where people are actually calling consumers and offering to put them under debt review. And uh, these companies, I'm actually training also. I do debt counseling training for new debt counselors that's coming on board now. Um, but the thing is, as I said, prevention and cure. Debt is, or over-indebtedness and debt issues, is a disease that's out there. And as I said, debt counseling is a cure. But does a doctor ever come and phone you uh, and tell you, hey, Richard, I can help you. You got a flu, come and see me. I'll, I will give you the medication for a flu. A debt counselor, will, a, a doctor won't phone you. When you need a doctor, you're going to phone a doctor. So this is, uh, the reason I'm saying this is be very wary. If somebody comes and approaches you and tells you, hey, I want to help you. I'm a debt counselor, I can help you. Be very wary about it, guys. There are a number of companies out there, people that are doing this, phoning and enticing people, in fact, forcing people to go under debt review. And the debt counseling industry has got a very, very bad name because of this. And I just say, you know, a person in there uh, uh, with common sense will, should just be alerted immediately. But when people are struggling financially, they are desperate. So anybody comes in and just holds out, a, uh, dangles a carrot in front of them and they grab it, that's a lifeline. And, and debt counseling is literally a lifeline, but these companies out there, especially the national companies, are, are really what they are doing is a sin. They are misleading people, they are not providing the service, they're only out there to make money. Um, so just be aware of that. Okay, this is about credits. Credit bureaus, it's very important uh, for you to understand the role of the credit bureau and how they affect you because it affects every single one of us. So, okay, I spoke to you a little about managing your loans. As I said, uh, you know, include that in your budget. Uh, try and pay off your loans, but if you find that you are struggling and you cannot repay your loans in terms of the agreement, please get help. There is help that is available. Um, aside from debt counseling, there are other uh, debt relief mechanisms that are in place. Uh, one of it is insolvency, which I won't advise, uh, I, I, I would actually advise against. Uh, another one, the, the one that was in place long before debt counseling came into play was admin. People used to, uh, could apply for an admin order and they had the administrator um, do, uh, it was similar to debt review in that your installments were reduced. 
And once, once uh, you enter under this, uh, we obtain an admin order, a credit provider can't take legal action against you. But what I found with, uh, with admin orders is that in most cases, your debts continue to go up. It doesn't come down because your fees and interest rates are not negotiated. Now with debt counseling, fees and interest rates are negotiated and you should become debt free within a reasonable period of time. And reasonable period for unsecured loans is five years. So within five years, you should not have any of those, uh, those loans. So if you know somebody who's under debt review and they've been under debt review for longer than 10 years, uh, longer than five years, there's something wrong there. Tell them to investigate. There's the NCR that's available also. So any uh, uh, complaints can be lodged with the national credit regulator. Okay, I think I've come to the end of, uh, we, I've taken up a lot of time. We could go into more detail about eradicating debt and um, yeah, these are the debt relief mechanisms that are in place. Debt intervention is a very interesting one. It's, it's something new. This was passed in, uh, in 2019. In November 2019, the National Credit Act was amended with this debt intervention and I think one of you asked about this the other day. Uh, debt intervention where you said that uh, you've seen these adverts where Cyril Ramaphosa is telling people to come under the debt intervention. Uh, yeah, so be careful about that because that is actually false advertising. The law has been, uh, it's been signed off already by, uh, by the state president. This debt intervention, it was in 2019, but it's not yet in force. And uh, I have my own opinion uh, about why it's not yet in force. Um, and, but I'll share with you very quickly. So people who qualify for this is people who, uh, who are earning under 7,500 Rand a month. Uh, apparently they are the ones that qualify for it and they have to have debts not exceeding 50,000 Rand to qualify for debt intervention. There are 7 million, uh, more than 7 million low income earners who actually qualify for this. Um, I'm being a skeptic here. And I won't be surprised if this act actually comes into force just before the elections, because that is a big possibility. Uh, you know, having seven million low income earners uh, applying for debt review. Apparently the NCR is supposed to be administering this also. Right now they, they are actually the, um, uh, they regulate, they, they oversee the entire credit industry and they are struggling. They are struggling, they are so over their head with what they have to do. Imagine having to deal with seven million clients applying for debt intervention. That is going to be chaos. But this is, this is the times we are living in. This is our government and yeah. Any questions, guys? Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, as I said, you are, please feel free to contact me. I'm here every, almost every week anyway. Uh, so if you want to chat, you can WhatsApp me, call me, stop me, and, and uh, we can arrange to meet and, and to chat. Is there any questions, any comments? Let's... Uh, um, you had uh, given us the websites where we can go and get our free copies. Uh, yes, do you mind repeating those websites again? You can go into um, TransUnion. W, you don't need to even put in www. Transunion, T-R-A-N-S-U-N-I-O-N 
www.ecpn.co.za. Experian, E-X-P-E-R-I-A-N.co.za and CompuScan. Is there any other questions, comments? I hope you enjoyed this. I know it was a little uh, tedious. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time.